0: Father, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful that we can express worship to you through song, what it is that you've placed in our hearts uh, to cry out and sing in praise to you. We do adore you alone. We do pray that you would rescue the souls of all those who don't know you here today, that you would use your spirit and your word to save those who are not in your kingdom, and that you would use your word and your spirit to sanctify those who are yours. Father, would your word do its work in each one of our lives in the way that you have intended it to? And so we pray that our hearts and minds would be attentive to your word, and that we would be dependent upon your spirit to live out these truths and to be changed by them. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your word, and Uh, We thank you for this afternoon, for allowing us to gather to hear from your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I have confirmed to keep your righteous judgments. I'm exceedingly afflicted, O Yahweh, Revive me according to your word. O be pleased with the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Yahweh, and teach me your judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not wandered from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to do your statutes forever to the end. I've titled this message, Light for Life. Light for Life. I remember in sixth grade, our class went on a camping trip to Lake Arrowhead, uh, which is located in the San Bernardino Mountains, just about an hour east of Los Angeles, And on one of the nights, our camp leaders took all the kids outside after dinner for what they called a special activity. It was pitch dark, and we all walked with flashlights along a paved trail. Then we all had to turn off our flashlights. And the camp leaders stopped along the way, one by one, along the trail. Uh, The activity was for each one of us to now, one at a time, walk back with no flashlights. And I remember being a little afraid. I remember not being able to see anything. All I could do was go one slow step at a time and listen for the voices of the leaders along the way. Once all the kids got back, they gave us these wintergreen Lifesaver mints. We were still outside. They told us to start biting them in our mouths. And we were surprised to see that our mouths lit up with blue sparks in the dark. And I looked it up. The reason it does that, it's called tribal luminescence. And I also looked up why they're called lifesavers. The inventor created this mint and looked at it and said, oh, it looks like a lifesaver. And so that's why they're called lifesavers. But anyways, we were biting them, surprised at the blue sparks in the dark, which was pretty cool for a bunch of sixth graders. The walk in the dark wasn't that cool, but the mints were cool to us. And the leaders didn't really connect that activity with any sort of reason why or any sort of life lesson or anything. Maybe they just thought kids would enjoy doing that. I really have no idea. But looking back, I still don't see the point of it, but it now serves as a helpful illustration. I remember the next morning walking to the dining hall to breakfast. We had to walk along the exact same path from the night before. Only this time, it wasn't dark. There was no fear. There was no reason to be afraid. The path didn't change, but my perspective did because there was light. This experience had no spiritual significance, but it does picture... A spiritual reality. And here the psalmist says in verse 105, as he speaks to God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And how important is light? And are you walking around in darkness, referring to spiritual darkness? Scripture contrasts light with darkness. Light representing spiritual life and understanding and that which is good and pure and good. And darkness representing spiritual death and ignorance, foolishness, blindness, and evil. And so spiritual light and spiritual darkness has eternal consequences and it impacts and influences how you live and think and understand everything in life. Light describes those who know Jesus Christ John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And John 12, verse 46 says, Everyone who does not believe in Christ remains in darkness. And Second Corinthians 4, 3 says of those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they are those who are perishing in whose case the God, lowercase g, of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So light is critically important. And knowing the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is to have the light of life or the light for life. The psalmist here knows God, and so the word, is the light for his path, and therefore he joyfully follows it even through all the afflictions of life, because it guides him rather than going through all the same afflictions in life, but in darkness, lost and confused. God is the source of this light, and his word is a lamp second peter one nineteen through twenty one says and we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes by one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by the will of man but men being moved by the holy spirit spoke from god god is the source of this light of truth of revelation and his word is a lamp in a dark place. Psalm 36, verse 9, David says, for with you, referring to God, for with God is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. In other words, God is the source of light. and He's also the author of salvation. He allows us to see light. In Second Samuel chapter 22, David spoke to Yahweh the words of this song when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the Hand of Saul. And in Second Samuel twenty two, verse twenty nine, he says, For you are my lamp, O Yahweh, and Yahweh illumines my darkness. The light doesn't just have salvation implications, but also provides living life light in a fallen world. Just as Yahweh illumined David in the darkness in regards to his enemies, God in his word illumined the Psalmist here in providing guidance amidst affliction. And amidst the wicked. Notice verse 107. He says, I am exceedingly afflicted. And verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. We know from Matthew chapter five, verse 14, that Jesus says of believers that you are the light of the world. And in what sense? Well, light shines within us. Second Corinthians 4:6 says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So light shines within us. We've been born again by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. Light also shines around, or light is also to shine around, the light that is within. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Light shines within, light is to shine around, light also shines ahead. We are those who live with great hope of Christ's return. We are to be those who point others to that great hope, to the light of the world who is the light of life. And so the word being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, it does impact and influence our entire life. It has to do with our salvation and our sanctification. The word of God unfolds the kind of character we should have. And it also shows the priorities that should govern our thinking and our lives. What is the will of God for my life? You might be asking. First Thessalonians four three says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Referring to the holiness of your life. And the psalmist here also brings this out. He mentions his feet in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. He mentions his mouth in verse 108. Oh, be pleased with the free will offerings of my mouth. He mentions his soul in verse 109. My soul is continually in my hand. He mentions his hand in verse 109. He mentions his heart in verses 111 and 112. In other words, the word of God is to impact and influence every part of who you are and every part of your life. The word of God is a guiding light for life. And so if you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside illumination in your life. You'll be walking in the dark. In the last stanza, we took note of five life transforming benefits of loving and obeying the word of God. It promotes an even greater love for God's word, makes you wise, it makes you holy, It keeps you from sin, in other words. It also satisfies you. It brings you joy. And it keeps you on the right path. It keeps you moving and walking in the right direction. And that leads us right into the word of God being that lamp and light that leads us on the right path and keeps us walking in the right direction from verse 104. And so we'll take note of eight reasonable practices, eight reasonable practices. Because the Word of God is a guiding light for life, these are the things that we need to practice. Verse 105, we need to be guided by it. Verse 106, we need to keep it or obey it. Verse 107, we need to be strengthened by it. Verse 108, we need to love it. Verse 109, remember it. Verse 110, We need to stand firm upon it. Verse 111, we need to treasure it. And verse 112, we need to commit to it. Eight reasonable practices because the word of God is a guiding light for life. And so the first reasonable practice because the word of God is a guiding light for life is to, verse 105, be guided by it. Again, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the psalmist says that because the word is a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Path referring to a way of life. A way of life. He will be guided by it. The word of God will guide the way of his life. What is your lamp to your feet? What is your light to your path? your way of life it must be the word of god if you want to be on the right path if you want to be guided in the right direction if you want to do the will of god who created you so many things today can take the place of the word of god in our lives where they start to become what drives our thinking what motivates our plans what compels our hearts what guides our feet and therefore our lives. Where we're no longer asking, what does the word of God say about this? How does the word of God apply to this? Does this go against what the word of God says? How does the word of God inform me to think rightly about this? What does the word of God instruct me to do in this situation? Is this glorifying to God? The Word of God is a light that provides you with knowledge to help you to make wise decisions, and it provides you with commands for you to know what the will of God is. And it is the Word of God that is a light to you also to reveal sin for what it is. And so if you neglect the Word of God, you are walking in darkness. We know that light reveals, light reflects, light also attracts, Light exposes. Light protects. And the Word of God is the only true lamp and light in this world that provides divine guidance for life from the creator and sustainer of life himself. Therefore, it is a reasonable practice to be guided by it. Not only to know that it is a guide, but to be guided by it. It moves your feet and directs your way of life according to it. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This needs to be a a personal practice in your life. And this is not one of many guides either. This is the only guide that you need for life. And this is the only guide that leads to true life. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way. Not a way, but the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And in John 8, verse 12, again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as Christians, we are in the world, but... Are not to be of the world. We don't want to be worldly. Influenced and instructed by the world. Directed and governed by the world. Controlled and compelled and captivated by the things of this world. Rather, as Christians, we want to be worldly. Influenced and instructed by the word. Directed and governed by the word. Controlled and compelled and captivated. By the word, and so may we be those who understand the importance of the word of God for our lives, and be guided by it. It is a lamp; it is a light for our path. So, the second reasonable practice, because the word of God is a guiding light for life, is to verse one hundred and six: is to keep it. And the psalmist continues, "I have sworn and I have confirmed to keep your righteous judgments." Can we make that kind of bold statement? The psalmist is making a solemn oath or pledge to keep God's righteous judgments. God's righteous judgments speaks of the word being what is right and rightly determined by a righteous judge who cannot lie. In other words, if this is what God says is right and this is what God says the consequences are, then I want to live my life obeying it, keeping it, according to his word. He says, I have sworn and I have confirmed. He's not just making an empty pledge. He is aware of the reality that He is only able to keep God's word because of God. The word translated confirmed here is also used in verse 28 of Psalm 119, where the psalmist says, my soul weeps because of grief. Raise me up according to your word. And the words raise up there is the same word, raise up. God is the one who raises him up, who causes him to stand, to be strengthened, and to persevere. This word is also used in verse 38 of Psalm 119, where the psalmist says, cause your word to be established for your slave, as that which produces fear for you. And the word is cause to be established. Cause to be established. Again, God is the one who causes his word to come to fruition and to abide in us, to produce this fear of him and thus obedience and love for him. And so here the psalmist states, I have sworn and I have confirmed to keep your righteous judgments. That is his godly determination and resolve to keep God's word, knowing that God works through his word so that he keeps God's word. John Calvin has said in regards to this verse, quote, Whenever the faithful vow to him, they do not look to what they are able to do of themselves, but they depend upon the grace of God to whom it belongs to perform what he requires from them in the way of supplying them with strength by his Holy Spirit. When the question is in reference to service to be rendered to God, they cannot vow anything without the Holy Spirit. For as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of to think anything as of ourselves but when god stretches forth his hand to us he bids us be of good courage and promises that he will never fail us and this is the source from which the boldness to swear here spoken of proceeds Close quote and so do you have boldness to make this type of pledge to god or at least to live this way before God. To confirm it with your practice of His Word because the power of His Spirit is working in you through His Word. So may we be those who keep the Word because it is a right guide for life. It is the right guide for our lives. The reasonable, the third reasonable practice because the Word of God is a guiding light for life is to, number three, is to be strengthened by it, verse 107. He says, I'm exceedingly afflicted, O Yahweh. Revive me according to your word. We should not allow the circumstances of life to bring us down to a place of darkness, or at least for us to stay there. The word of God is a guiding light and a light that will shine brightest if we look to it in the most desperate of times. The psalmist, even though he experienced exceeding affliction, he confidently continued persevering in God because of the word of God, because of the power of God's word, because of the light that the word of God provides for him. He says, I'm exceedingly afflicted. Exceedingly speaks of something to the highest degree. Afflicted means to be grievously affected by something. He's grievously affected by something to the highest degree. This is what he's going through on his path in life. Yet, he is not without hope or help or light. He says, O Yahweh, revive me according to your word. He looks to God. He looks to God's word to sustain him and to help him to persevere and to continue on in his path in life. And so may we be those who, in times of great affliction and trial, look to and depend upon God and His Word to guide us by the lamp and light of His Word and to be strengthened by it. The fourth reasonable practice, because the Word of God is a guiding light for life, is to, verse 108, is to love it. He says there, O be pleased with the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Yahweh, and teach me your judgments. The psalmist expresses and demonstrates his love to God and for his word. He wants Yahweh to be pleased and to accept the free will offerings of his mouth. This was on the top, this was on top of other offerings that he was giving to Yahweh. The free will offering was voluntary and of one's own accord. It means with a willing mind. It reflects love and generosity. It was a way to show gratitude to God. And so are you offering up praise? to God are you expressing your gratitude to him are you being generous in doing so is it voluntary and not compulsory do you have a willing mind that longs and loves to please God this love that he has for God in his word also leads the psalmist to want to be taught the word of God he says and teach me your judgments Teach me what is right. Teach me what is pleasing in your sight. I want to obey you. And so may we be those who love God and his word because it is a lamp and a light for our lives. And may we be those who display it through our lives and declare it in our lives. That's a reasonable practice. The fifth reasonable practice, because the word of God is a guiding light for life, is to, verse 109, is to remember it remember it verse 109 my soul is continually in my hand yet i do not forget your law the psalmist says that his soul speaking about his life his entire life is continually in his hand in other words the responsibility and accountability for his life was always before him with all that life brings, all the twists and turns and unknowns and changes on the path of his life that he needed to take hold of, he says, yet I do not forget your law. He's not distracted. He views everything in light of the scriptures. He filters everything through the lens of God's word, God's law, which refers to his instruction for life. It is upon his mind and he remembers it. And so may we be those who know and remember the word of God because it is a guiding light for life. If we are to continue in life without being distracted, without losing our way, we cannot forget God's word. And so it would be a reasonable practice to remember it, to keep it in mind. The next reasonable practice because the word of God is a guiding light for life, is to, number six, to stand firm upon it. Verse 110. The psalmist again brings up the wicked, whose goal and aim it was to trap him. He says in verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. To have laid means to put into place and to commit and devote oneself to it. And the wicked have laid a snare, referring to a trap or a net, or a plot. The wicked are out to get him, and they are set on it. They've committed themselves, they've devoted themselves to it. Yet the psalmist says, I have not wandered from your precepts. I have not gone astray from your word. I have not been misled from the path of the light of God's word. In other words, because I have stood firm upon God's precepts, which are instructions and rules for personal conduct, I'm not going to be confused, deceived, or trapped by the wicked and their agenda and plots. Many Christians today, professing Christians, are straying and wandering from the truth because the wicked have laid a snare. Their agendas, their plots, their philosophies, their their twisting of Scripture. But if we keep our eyes fixed, from God's precepts, how it is that we are to conduct ourselves in this life, on this path, with God's word being our guide, it will be harder for us to be misled, to wander from the truth. There Again, we can apply this to the importance of being in a local church, to sit under the teaching of God's word, to have brothers and sisters to confirm the truth of God's word, to point you to the word of God. The psalmist here is saying that the wicked will not cause him to wander, to waver. But rather, he says, I will stand firm upon the unchanging and trustworthy word of God, which is a guiding light for life, which not only instructs him, but also exposes. The seventh reasonable practice, because the word of God is a guiding light for life, is to treasure it, verse 111. He says, I've inherited your testimonies forever. They are, for they are the joy of my heart. The psalmist has inherited or has taken possession of God's testimonies forever. They are his without end. He has received God's word from God and it is the joy of his heart. The word of God was given to him as a possess, possession, as an inheritance, and the word of God has also taken possession of his heart. He treasures it, and it gives him much happiness and pleasure and joy. It fills and satisfies his heart and his life. The psalmist says back in verse 14 of Psalm 119, he says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. In verse 92, he says, if your law had not been my delight, my joy, then I would have perished in my affliction. In verse 72, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In verse 103, he says, How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What we have inherited from God is forever, namely his word, the testimonies or the divine witness of scripture. Everything else is temporary. And so too, the temporary, unfulfilling, unsatisfying happiness that comes with it. And so may, may we be those who joyfully treasure God's eternal word because it is a guiding light for our lives. The word used for inherited carries the sense of to obtain something by legal right from someone as an heir, usually after their death. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. As heirs of God, it means we have a relationship with God. We are those who receive our allotted possession by right of sonship, in other words, because God has made us his children through Christ. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Because God has made us his children through Christ, we have full rights to receive his inheritance. As his children, also 1 Peter one four, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, kept for us in heaven. And this inheritance comes to us only because of the death of Christ. It is only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that you belong to him as a son, as a daughter. Otherwise, we have no relationship to God and no right to his inheritance. But we know that Jesus didn't just die. He resurrected and is now alive. And so as we share in his sufferings now, we will also share in his glory glory later with the redemption of our bodies. As those who are in Christ, we have inherited God himself and his testimonies forever. And this should be the joy of our heart. This should fill us with satisfaction and rejoicing and thankfulness. We have the light, Jesus Christ, and we have the light of his word. The last reasonable practice, because the word of God is a guiding light for life, is to verse 112, is to commit to it. Commit to it. it says, I have inclined my heart to do your statutes forever to the end. And the psalmist commits himself and his heart to live out God's statutes which speaks to the authoritative, binding, immovable nature of Scripture. He inclined his heart to do God's word forever to the end. He was fully committed. He was sincerely willing to obey God's word to the end, but he also knew that God had to be the one working in and through him, which is why in verse 36, the psalmist says, cause my heart to incline to your testimonies. The grace of God had inclined him to incline his heart in a holy direction. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, It says, him we proclaim, speaking about Jesus Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me in power. Everything goes back to God, and so he alone is worthy of worship. And so may we be those who commit ourselves and devote ourselves to live out the Word of God. And what it means to commit to God and His Word is not just to do His Word forever to the end, but to depend upon Him who is faithful and who began this good work in you and will perfect it. God and His Word are an eternal guiding light for our lives. So we've taken note of eight reasonable practices. Because the Word of God is a guiding light for life, We need to be guided by it. We need to keep it. We need to be strengthened by it. We need to love it, remember it, stand firm upon it so that the wicked don't overtake us, treasure it, and commit to it forever to the end, knowing that God is working in and through His Word by His Spirit and sanctifying us. And so, a few more notes of application for us in terms of this light-for-life practice. Uh, we need to practice God's Word. Ephesians 5, eight says, "You For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, referring to a lifestyle, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.11 says, And do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. First John one six says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. We need to practice God's Word. We need to be guided by this light. We also need this Word and this light to be our, our protection. We also need to pray. So protection and prayer. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need to be protected from this spiritual darkness that is all around us. And how do we do that? Prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, which consists of the truth, of truth and faith and righteousness, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, verse 18, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit, and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition, not just for yourself, but for all the saints. Pray this for one another, that God's word would be a protection for our souls, for our minds from the schemes of the evil one. So practice protection and prayer, praise. Second Corinthians four, six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We must praise the one who has saved us and called us from eternity past and who is with us now into eternity future. He's given us the light. He's given us sight. He's given us the ability to know him and to worship him. Colossians 1.13, God rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his, transferred us to the kingdom of the son of his love. It is God who has done it all. And so we must praise him. Lastly, proclaim. First Peter nine says, but you are a chosen family a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Practice, protect, pray, praise, proclaim. And if you don't have this light for life, the Bible presents good news for you. But it begins with understanding who you are in light of this holy God. That you are a sinner before him. He has created you and you have fallen short of his perfect righteous standard of holiness. And you are accountable to this God who has created you. And your sin deserves death. There's a penalty because God is just. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. You're by nature children of wrath and sons of disobedience, following the course of the prince of the power of this air. The Satan has blinded your minds so that you don't see the light of Christ. You are a sinner. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Christ or God has provided a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. John 12, 46 says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And that's good news. God is the one who saves through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you repent and believe and trust by faith in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, you will be saved. Acts 26, verse 18, the Apostle Paul recounts his conversion to King Agrippa and states that he was saved to be a minister of the gospel. And he says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God, to have the forgiveness of sins. It's the only way to have this light in life and to have the light of life be your guide and your lamp and your light for this path that you're walking along. You may be able to see physically, but you cannot see. You do not understand why there's trials, why there's suffering, why there's death. It's because of sin. And as Christians, that should cause us to hate sin. As much as we hate the suffering, as much as we hate death, as much as we hate our loved ones who don't know Christ, it's all because of sin. And should, May that cause our hearts to hate it even more and to long for Christ to return so that sin is no more. And that we can live in his presence apart from the curse of sin upon the world and the presence of sin in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your light. We thank you for sending your son into this world so that we would not remain in darkness. We know it's not of our own doing. It's all of your grace. It's all of your mercy. It's all of your love. Help us to be those who would Be guided by this truth that you've given to us. May it protect our minds and our hearts. May we pray according to it and pray for ourselves and for one another. May we praise you for being the one who has redeemed us, who is our refuge and our rock and our redeemer. And may we proclaim this great truth so that others may also hear and be saved as they repent and believe in your son. For it is only by hearing the word of Christ, that people are saved. Help us to be those who are ambassadors for your kingdom. Help us to be obedient children as those who delight to be a part of your kingdom, but also those who are eager and willing to go and tell all and rest in your sovereignty. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.